Hello and welcome to episode four of Wind Your Neck, and it's a pleasure to have you join us today. I'm your host, Niall Annett, as always, and this week we're very lucky to be joined by a man who has seen and done a lot in his coaching career, despite only having just turned 40. It's a, it's a very impressive resume for a 40-year-old, I have to say. So today we welcome Monster Head Coach Johan van Gran. Um, Johan, how are you keeping? Oh, no, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm doing very well, thanks. Um, Great to to be um, talking to you today, and uh, it's a uh, it's a typical day in in uh, Limerick, uh, nice and rainy, uh, but always great to talk rugby. Yeah, yeah, it's a great opportunity for us. So obviously, we've got um, some mutual friends. I know you know GJ Van Velzen particularly well. Um, GJ speaks very highly of you. I'm not sure if he ever tells you that, but he does. And it's a great opportunity for me as uh, someone involved in high performance and also interested in coaching to speak to someone of your pedigree. So I appreciate you taking the time. I suppose let's start off with just the current moment and where we are in the season. Obviously, it's been very difficult you know, with what's been going on with COVID and, and so on and so forth. But how would you assess the start of the season for monster so far oh, look we're in a in a, in a good place you know we won both of our games in in europe uh, against quince at home uh, which was always going to be a, a tough start um and then clermont away which was uh, one of those games of rugby that that you can write a book about yeah uh, you know our preparation was so good for them uh, first time that that i went to clermont incredible incredible stadium um and when we we drove into the stadium. There was actually some of their supporters um, outside the let's call it the perimeter, if I if I can yeah. call it that. And uh, it was um, great to hear um, how they actually encouraged us when when uh, we got off the bus. And um, you know, Claremont is a is a proper rugby club, and uh, their supporters, you know, even we were the away team, were fantastic on on the outside and. Um, an incredible game of rugby. You know, we we conceded a try after I think it was 25 or 26 seconds, and yeah, came back with a penalty, and uh, you know, we we went down by four tries to zero. They got the bonus point pretty quickly, but we we prepared so well for that game, and and we had a lot of belief, and we knew that uh, we just needed to stick to our process. Came in at half time, uh, very calm, very relaxed by everybody. It reinforced what we're gonna do, and. I said to the team, if if you keep believing uh, in in what we are doing and specifically in yourself, uh, we will get through this game and look to to come away with the points. There was uh, was brilliant for us. Started the the Pro 14 very well in that autumn international window. Uh, some come from behind wins, uh, some comfortable wins. Uh, one or two games that we needed to grind out. Uh, obviously, on Saturday, we, we played Leinster. Thought we started the game really well. Uh, they scored that try in the 68th minute and uh, the championship team that they are just didn't uh, give us a way back. Uh, you know, lost the game by three points. Uh, very disappointed by the loss. But, uh, you know, we will uh, get them later on in the season. And uh, they are currently, in my view, one of the two best teams in, in Europe. Uh, you know, I think they've won now 28 out of the last 29 games in yeah. in the Pro 14, and it's a it's a quality outfit. Uh, you know, we, we would like to think that we are close, but but all credit to them on the day. So you know, it's a, it's one more game for us on Saturday against uh, Benetton, and and then we've got a our first break actually we, when we can have a proper weeks away from rugby for for a very long time and. I think everybody's looking forward to it. And then, 
you know, we restart on the 20th of February and then it's uh, the back end of, of the Pro 14. You know, there's a possibility uh, of a final if you end first in, in your group and then into Europe and, you know, wh- whatever's going to happen in, in the playoff games of re- Europe, that that's exciting. Yeah. And then hopefully the Rainbow Cup with the South African team. So really looking forward to it. Yeah, no, it's it's you've you've summed up this kind of start of the season there brilliantly. And one of the things you've touched on, being a current player, um, this after this week when you go to Treviso, uh, Benetton, sorry, I should say, you have the opportunity to rest players who have been working particularly hard, not just in the club but away from the club to make sure they're in condition. Now the culture at Munster will is fantastic. People I've known who've come through there, the boys will have made sure they've they've come back in shape, but. I want to touch on the mental and physical aspect of what COVID has, uh, how it's challenged players, but not just players, also staff, because it must have been very difficult at times for you to manage all these pieces around Cork and Limerick and wherever else the lads are living. But when you're not in the same building as them, has has COVID presented some management challenges in terms of how you keep the group together and make sure they're ready to come back to play the best rugby they can? Yeah, I'd like to take you back to March. We... We uh, beat the Scarlets uh, at home and um, then we had a, a few days away and uh, COVID started coming into Ireland and um, we actually had a, a double header against uh, Benetton coming up at the end of March and I remember saying to the group, listen, you know, they, they might cancel all the games and one of two of the players came to me and said, aren't you a bit over dramatic? I said, that's... That's what that what I've been told. Who knows? And um, <laughs> you know, we we I remember it was a Wednesday, and uh, we we suspended the training. And I said to the lads, uh, "I'll let you guys know by Friday." And uh, we um, met as a as a senior management on on Friday and said uh, we're going to suspend training for the foreseeable future. Uh, met with the IRFU, who've who've been incredible in in this whole process and in, in how they've managed that. And then spoke to the group. And then I think if I remember correctly, the next date that we were given were the 19th of May. And that was the first opportunity to to be innovative uh, because we had to. And there was no book uh, that you could read or speak to somebody that had gone through this before. So, you know, uh, in, in any high-performance environment, you are only as good as the people around you. And, um, you know, we've got a fantastic staff and they've been brilliant throughout this whole process and we've got a hungry squad and there was no doubt in my mind that they were going to keep in shape and you know even with a, a two kilometer radius around them uh, they were incredible we redistributed a lot of equipment road plans uh, kind of took a two-week mental break not that anybody could go anywhere but we kind of knew that we weren't going to play for a long time and um, I had to first start with myself in terms of of getting a new vision for the season because uh, you know we were so well set in the season and you were looking forward to the rest of it and I remember uh, I'm a guy that that likes to run uh, specifically early morning and uh, think about life Think about what's coming up in the day. Get my thoughts in 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 uh, in order, and, and and you know, take each day as it comes. And uh, I remember listening to something um, that Maxwell said, and he said, in in any crisis, you go through three stages. You go through fear, you grow, you go through learning, and then you go through growth. 
And because the virus for me was such an unknown, I said, I've got to get past fear straight away and kind of took a day or two to make sure what is my plan for learning and then challenge the squad to grow. And uh, that's something that the squad has been phenomenal at, um, you know, from a playing point of view, from a coaching point of view, we challenged ourselves to get better. Um, and once we started off, uh, I think it was somewhere at the back end of June, you know, there, there weren't one guy out of shape. Everybody had different challenges. Some guys could only run on a tar road. They were different to some guys that were out on a farm. So everybody had, had different circumstances, but everybody came in, in, in very good shape. And then you know, the challenge of not going too quickly, because we the only thing we, we really had was was some information out of the US about previous lockdowns and lockouts, whatever they called it, that they've been through. Uh, so we were very uh, wary of, of calves and Achilles um, injuries, yeah. etc. And uh, then we we at last started to get some fixtures. And, and once we got the fixtures, uh, the first one was Leinster in, in the Aviva, and then and then Connacht a week later in the Aviva. Once we got that, um, we kind of started with, with the rugby, and then uh, you know fast forward to where we are today. Our main theme in, in the group for the season is change or be changed. And um, I really encouraged our players and our staff to embrace change because currently that's the, that's the only definite we have is is there will be change. And, um, you know, we said whatever comes our way, we'll be able to adapt and, and handle change. And again, that's uh, such an important lesson that uh, I learned again you know, we as humans are so stuck in our ways in terms of doing the same thing over and over until that gets taken away from you. And, and then you actually realize how adaptable we are and how strong we are, uh, yeah. not only physically, but to, to answer your question mentally. And, uh, you know, I, I'd like to think that we as a group have grown incredibly from a mental point of view. Yeah, it sounds impressive. I mean, I think what you see, what you, it sounds like what you what you did was just take real, um, you know, an element of control of, of what was quite an uncontrollable period. Um, and that's quite important, particularly as a player. And I think, you know, what you discuss, you sound like someone who really thinks about and reflects on a lot of things that they've done to their coaching career. And I think that gives us a great opportunity. We're going to, we'll touch again on some of the, the culture and stuff at Munster um, further down the line. But I think what it allows us to do is to reflect maybe back to the early days of when you got into coaching, because your journey into coaching has been one of dedication and hard work because um, you started off in the in, at the Blue Bulls um, professionally as as an analyst, and you've kind of worked your way through the stages. You've you've spent the time that you needed to to earn your stripes, if that's a, a phrase that is is fair enough. But you have this long dedication um, to where you are now, and I think that's really great to see because you do see a lot of video analysts. Um, who are they can be frustrated coaches at times um if you know what i mean by that they spend a lot of time watching footage um and forming opinions and then at sometimes coach, great coaches can can be born out of that so your association with the bulls is a long-term family one as well your dad was obviously massively involved with the blue bulls and that's where your coaching starts how do you reflect on your time there um as a young man and a young coach yeah look uh Ever since I can remember, uh, it was Northern Transvaal back in back in the day. Yes, you know I I was a ball boy at at Loftus, and um, 
I've got some incredible memories uh, of early games, kicking balls back for Nas Buerta. Uh, he's the first guy that ever gave me a, a jersey. Caddy Cup Finals, the 1988 Caddy Cup Final, which the Blue Bulls won, I think it was 1918. The 1990 Caddy Cup Final, where I was on the corner where Tony Watson of the Natal at that stage ran past Tiel van Rensburg and, and scored a try. Yannick Larsen's uh, dived on him. The referee gave a penalty, which Joel Stransky kicked, and and wow. Natal won the, the Northern Transvaal 18-12. You know, then going to South Africa, coming out of isolation, the first test that uh, I was involved at uh, in '94, uh, uh, South Africa versus England. I stood next to Andre Hubert and uh, had the privilege to meet Nelson Mandela. Um, wow and uh, shook his hands and had a few quiet words then you know into into coaching whilst i was playing uh i i loved the coaching part of it and i i, I always loved to be involved uh, even at even at school um and then went to the united states for a year uh went to play there with, with the dallas harlequins which was a, a phenomenal year for me as a person to to grow and to experience something different and to be out of my comfort zone and really grow up quickly. Came back, um, you know, was part of the the Bulls uh, junior systems um, and and played for the University of Pretoria. And there, I met um, Heineke Meyer uh, for the first time when when he was appointed the Bulls coach. Worked uh, under Dick Muir at the University of Pretoria. Uh, went back to my school, which I'm very proud of, Afis, uh, the Afrikaans who were in school. And uh, the, the first two guys that actually gave me my opportunity to coach were two coaches that coached me in high school, Karo Krik and, and Saki van der Walt. And I actually said at my wedding to them, you know, you two were the first guys that, that gave me that in uh, at the opportunity straight away to coach in 2002, uh, alongside them, the, the Afi's first team that had players in like like Pierre Spies, Derek Keane, Cliff Moulton, guys that, that played a high level of rugby. Yeah. Uh, the the flyer for that team was Abel de Villiers, which is much more known for, for his cricket. I have to uh, say, we've actually got AB coming on for episode five of the series, so I'll have to mention it. Brilliant. Uh, phenomenal guy. I, I still say in terms of skill level, the most skillful guy in any sports that I've seen. I remember him in a, uh, the number nine that year was a guy called Heino Keen. And the two of them did just some phenomenal stuff with balls in their hands. Um, and I remember in the final, we played against Waterkloof and uh, AB actually started a drop goal. And I think uh, the score was 1916 uh, that, that we won in, in that final. Wow. Um, then in 2003, uh, I was contacted by one of the the old rugby brands of South African rugby, a guy called Chris Beitendach, who, who asked if I would come to the Pumas um, for a year to to come and do analysis. Because whilst I was still in the Bulls junior systems, I started working with with Heineken and with uh, an incredible coach who I've worked a long time with, John McFarlane, um, and started helping him analyze games on, on Sunday mornings uh, and then went to the Pumas in 2003, helped the SWD Eagles for a bit, uh, helped the Leopards for a bit um, behind the scenes um, while still 
you know, uh, doing a, a bit of playing for for uh, the university side. But in uh, 2001, we played a, a semi-final against Western Province. Uh, they were much better on, than us on the day. I remember Jean de Villiers played 12 for, for them and, and uh, made two fantastic line breaks. I remember Skulk Britz, uh, which is a good friend of mine. He, he still good had player. a step of his phenomenal player, phenomenal person. And kind of after that semi-final, I decided uh, I want to go into coaching. So hence 2003 at, at the, the Pumas. And, um, you know, so I coached at Uffies, went to the Pumas uh, to help them there on a, on a, from an analysis point of view. But you've got to think back now, you know, you think at where analysis is now. I started off with uh, a pencil and a piece of paper. That's how I started. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I, I went to a guy um, called uh, Tony Kirkbright. He was at a place called the CSIR in, in Pretoria. And um, I asked him if if he if I could use some of their machinery to do analysis, uh, which um, I remember I actually gave uh, my first salary, which was uh, next to nothing. I actually <laughs> gave some of my first salary just as a gesture to to listen. Can I use your equipment? And and uh, he, he gave me that. And then um, at the back end of two thousand and three, Heineke said, "Come and see me." I said, "Would you?" We're willing to come to the Bulls uh, on a full-time basis. I said, I'd love to come back. Um, so I started on the 1st of November, 2003. And then, you know, uh, he was the, the Vodacom coach back then, started doing a bit. Uh, and and, and he, he asked me, you know, what do you want to do? And I, and he knew that that I wanted to to, do, to be a coach. And, um, you know, we, we worked together for a, for a long time. Gave me a bit more responsibilities. Obviously, I I was still only 23 years old at, at that stage. And fast forward to the back end of 2007, uh, after the Bulls won Super Rugby, when when Brian Banner scored that phenomenal try uh, in Durban, and and Derek Ogard kicked the goal to to let us win 2019. Heineke left the Bulls, and uh, then another phenomenal coach joined the Bulls called Franz Ludeke. Now I learned so much from Heineke. Transition year in 2008, so the Bulls went from champions in 07. We ended 10th in 2008, um, and France asked me if I would do the forwards and and the attack going forward. Yeah. And I'd love to do that. And now then went into a, a phenomenal two years where where you know had a privilege to be part of a, an incredible rugby team that beat the Chiefs 61-17 in a final at Loftus and and. Potentially one of my favourite moments, beating the Stormers in Soweto just before the World Cup, uh, which is from a South African point of view, was huge. Uh, you know, and then the Soccer World Cup followed after that. Um, and then at the start of 2012, Heineke got appointed as, as the Springbok coach and uh, he asked me if I would join uh, uh, him at the Springboks as the forwards and the attack coach. And um, what a privilege to be part of your national team. Yeah. Uh, uh, I worked with him for four years till uh, the 2015 Rugby World Cup. And then uh, Heineken moved on and Alistair was appointed at South African Rugby. Um, and he asked me to to stay on, which which I did. And then in uh, the middle of 2017, uh, an opportunity opened up at, at Munster Rugby and I applied for, for the position and uh, fast forward to today. So... 
Now I've been uh, on an incredible journey uh, up to now, and um, you know, a few people have asked me. So what would what would you say? I'd say well, three things: a lot of hard work, yeah. a lot of luck, and a lot of grace. And uh, that's kind of how I, I see what I do. I haven't worked a day in my life. Uh, I'm absolutely loving what I'm doing. And the most important thing is, I believe, as a coach, you need to know why you're doing things. And uh, once you've got that, it's such a privilege to be part of this game. Yeah, I mean, it's such a such a fascinating story, and it's 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 amazing to hear you reflect on it um, yourself. I mean, there's just no need for me to interject because it's such a clear reflection period, which I know is a crucial part of coaching. And clearly, you're self aware enough to have done that yourself. I think if we just go back to the very early days, there is a couple of questions I'd love to just pump. You know, I mean, clearly playing was was playing first prize. Yeah, definitely. I I dreamt of playing for the Springboks against the All Blacks. I, as a young boy, we, we didn't have a lot of test matches in, in South Africa. So the few that we had, I, I remember I was six years old uh, and the Cavaliers came to tour South Africa and there was a test match at Loftus where Uli Schmidt scored a, a try in the left-hand corner. And I thought, yes, I'd like to be that guy. <laughs> and then in 89, uh, there was a, I don't know if it was a Rebel tour, but there was a World 15 that, that came to South Africa. And I remember going to watch that at, at Ellis Park. And then one of the most amazing moments for me is 92. Uh, it was the game that South Africa were, how do I say it, welcomed back into international rugby and South mm. Africa played, the Springboks played the All Blacks at Ellis Park. And I went to watch it with my my grandpa and um, some of the family members and South Africa lost the test. Now if my memory serves me correct, 27-24, I might be a small way off, but I remember 27-24. But the point was, Donny Gerber scored two tries right in front of me. Uh, we, st- we stood behind the post. And then uh, in 93, the French came to visit. And the second test at Ellis Park, uh, Tio van Rensburg kicked a goal that hit the upright in South Africa, lost a series against the French. So I, I, I always dreamt of, of playing for South Africa. There was a... Then the Bulls, Northern Transvaal in those days, uh, a guy called Peter Nell taught me to kick a torpedo. I'm left-footed. And, uh, you know, so many guys had an influence on me. A guy called Liter Bakkes, who never played for South Africa, but at one stage he stayed in our house. He came from the Free State, and, and he taught me so much about the game that, um, you know, I, I always dreamt of, of playing, and I, I loved every moment of it. So... I never, I never thought I'm going to end up coaching, but once I made that decision, I, I loved coaching. And I remember a guy that uh, worked at the Bulls uh, said to me one day, "You know, you're living your your dream now, just in another way." And, and I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "You always, you always taught me as a young guy that uh, you're going to play for South Africa and going to play for the Bulls. Now you're just coaching the Bulls and you're coaching the Springboks." And and that made a, a lot of sense to me, and, and I take a lot of, of, of pride in that in, in the sense of that. Um, and I remember the first test that uh, I was involved with, with the Springbok coaching staff. We played in, in Dunedin. Um, Brian O'Bannon scored the, the World Trial of the Year in, in that yeah, game I remember it. In, in, in 2012. And uh, we, we came so close, but what Yanni Duplessis spoke before the game about... Um, about the privilege to play against the All Blacks. And 
you know, that's why I'll, I'm, I'll always be so thankful for the opportunities that I received that, you know, I never had the, the privilege to play for South Africa, but, you know, you've got the privilege of, of coaching yeah. for South Africa. And, uh, you know, fast forward to the World Cup semi-final, which we lost by two points. Such a disappointment, but such a, a high point to actually get to a World Cup semi-final. And then we played Argentina in the third and fourth playoff. And uh, I remember getting that, that bronze medal and say, listen, you don't know if you're ever going to be part of a World Cup again, but just the pride to represent your nation in a different way. Mm-hmm. So I would have loved to play, but um, I'm grateful for the opportunity that I had to be part of a coaching team. Of course, of course. And I think you discussed earlier about, you know, it's important to know your why and to know you probably, I imagine, again, without putting words in your mouth, that you probably pitch that to your players a lot. It's important for players as a current player to know what their why is because it gives you motivation um, to get up every day and get better, which I'm, I am I know for a fact you're, you're pushing these players to do. But as a coach, as Johan van Graan, what is it about coaching that gets you up every day? Is it the development of people as rugby players or does it broaden further into just developing people? I think the number one for me is people. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a man of faith and I believe that you must... Uh, make a difference in people's lives and mm. that's a that's a very wide statement and and everybody's different so for some guys it's making him a better rugby player for some guys it's uh, helping him in his own development for some guys it's uh, it's making him uh, a better father or husband or friends and at the end of the day you are in such a privileged position as a coach because um, you get so many people uh, across your, your your table, if I could put it that way. And you've only got a limited amount of time with, with people because as a coach, you'll never stay at the same club forever. Yeah. You'll never coach the same players forever. And um, you know, uh, an old coach once taught me that uh, people don't need to like you, but they need to respect you. And, uh, you know, hopefully... Uh, you can make a difference in, in people's life that, uh, you know, one day if somebody asked, you know, did he make a difference, the answer will be yes. And, um, you know, that, that's why coach is is to make a difference. I'm, uh, I'm obviously w- would love to to win every competition and every game that you play in, but it, it, that's, that's secondary to, to actually being part of an incredible game, and that's called rugby. And like you know yourself now, that's that's about people. Uh, yeah. The emotions you go through, your highs are a lot higher than the normal human being, and your lows are a lot lower. Uh, but that's that's life. And uh, you know, I firmly believe rugby is a is a great learning school for life. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I honestly couldn't. I think rugby will, will and always will be about your uh, relationships with people. And I think the best teams tend to have the best relationships. It's, it's a it's a common theme with the people I've spoken to. Irrelevant of whether it's rugby or a different, I think sport um, brings people together. And I think, you know, you, you've you we've obviously discussed the different aspects in your journey through coaching, wide ranging um, journey that you've been on. I wonder if, if for a second you can reflect on have, so we've just talked about your why, which is making a difference to people. When you coach a national team, um, your contact time is very limited. So how, when you compare that to the day in and day out of seeing, you know, Billy Holland and Pedro Romani every day and have an interaction with them, 
Was there any times that you felt frustration at not being able to have more influence in those national camps? Or did you feel like that was just part of uh, a national job? Oh, look, it was a first uh, a shock at first because I, I was nine years at the Bulls and uh, then uh, at, at the back end of my time of the Bulls, we had a free test series against England. Um, then we went back to the Bulls literally for a game against the Cheetahs, the Lions, and a quarterfinal against the Crusaders, which we lost in Christchurch, and, and then that was done with the Bulls. And then um, went on the end of year two in 2012, we came across, um, we actually beat Ireland in the Aviva, beat Scotland at Murrayfield, and, and then beat England at Twickenham. And then to your point, then it was like, Nothing for six months. Yeah. And it was like, yes, you, you've just gone for nine and a half years, day in and day out. Now <laughs> it's like six months of nothing. But it gave me a, a lot of time to reflect, a lot of time to plan. And then I had to kind of reinvent my way of coaching. Yeah. Which was brilliant because, um, you know, uh, let's call uh, someone like Ivan Etzebet, uh, which is a guy that his first test and my first test were the same. You had to find ways to stay in contact. So whether that was traveling down to Cape Town, picking up the phone once a week, staying in touch via WhatsApp, speaking about the game, but but also life. And um, that that was a a brilliant thing to do. Unfortunately, at International Rugby, your turnover rate of of people are are very high, whether it's injuries or the coach making a a different selection. Yeah. Then you've you've got a proportion of the squad that were there for the six or the seven years um, and then you've got uh, some guys that are literally coming in for three weeks and, and then they are gone so very different and then coming to Munster uh, obviously back to the day in and day out and now it's kind of the other way around uh, spoke to of the of the few national lads that's going away now and we are only seeing them again on the 20th of March so it's kind of like finding a way to stay connected to them again. Yeah, uh, of course. Uh, whilst maintaining what you have at the club. So, so different scenarios. And, and I think that's the beauty of coaching. No role, no club, no individual are, are the same. And it's it's about being yourself. And maybe the uh, something I, I read, uh, a quote about Pep Guardiola, fascinating guy, if you read about him. Yeah. Uh, he, he's got one quote that stuck with me. It says that, this beast called football will eat you alive if you're not always, 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 always yourself. So that's that's something that, that stuck with me and, um, you know, trying to be yourself um, because if you – this game is too tough uh, to be somebody else. So stick to what you believe in, be yourself and be comfortable with, with yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's not just not sustainable to try and be anything else other than what you are naturally. And I think that's been, um, Pep Guardiola was a perfect example. He's such a, um individual in how he acts and how he interacts with his squads. I mean, some of the insight you get through those documentaries and, and the Man City football page is unbelievable. I, I mean, I think we've touched on the day-to-day now with Munster and I, I wonder... When you join a, a province like Munster, there's obviously huge pedigree, huge history that comes with a club like that. An amazing and exciting opportunity, I'm guessing, that was something that you just couldn't wait to get your teeth into. Yeah, look, um, uh, firstly, went through the process, uh, came to to Limerick and see what Limerick is about. Uh, went to Thurman Park, Um you know, went through the whole interview process and um, 
uh, you know, uh, offered got offered a job and um, discussed it with with my wife and and uh, with you know a few of the people that uh, I I value their opinion. Uh, gratefully ex- accepted the job from um, Gareth Fitzgerald and David yeah. Musifora, and then uh, I was still busy with with the Springboks and um, flew over and came to to spend uh, a week here. Uh, at Limerick um, with my family and and a few things actually uh, in, in those early visits um, stuck with me. The first thing was how proud people were to wear their Munster clothing on a day-to-day basis. If you if you walk anywhere in the Munster province, you'll see people wear different years of clothing. Yeah, and, and together with that, how many homes? Restaurants, bars, hotels, name it. Got Munster flags uh, on, on the outside, and and that yeah. made a, a real, real impression on me. Um, was was the the brand, but not not in a in a on a billboard. The people actually wear the Munster clothing proudly. And the second thing that that really, uh, I think the word is resonated with me were yeah. the values of, of Munster rugby. That real um, sense of community, and I immediately saw that those values weren't empty words. I saw it with my own eyes, and one coach told me that uh, you must trust your eyes because they never lie. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, once I put those two things together, um, you know, it's such a, a privilege to be part of this club, and um, it, it's got an incredible history. Uh, some incredible people have been here. What what this club has achieved um, and this club is really about people and people that want to be at this club and people that are incredibly proud to be to be at this club and then you know whether you are from Limerick or Cork or Waterford or um, Skibberine <laughs> or uh, County Clare it doesn't matter where you're from uh, once you, you, you you're part of Munster now, whether we play uh, at um, Musgrave Park in Cork or whether we play at Thoman Park, it's uh, it's an incredible experience and uh, a very humbling experience. And um, you know, you you coach players that are incredibly proud to play for Munster, and that's not that's not something that's that's evident all over the world. Guys, uh, Keith Hills, Billy Holland, Peter Romani. Conor Murray, Stephen Archer, John Ryan, Dave Kilcoyne, to name a few that are, that have only played for Munster because they love to play for Munster and they're proud to be part of Munster. And then, you know, people from the outside, guys like CJ Stunder that have given his heart to Munster, uh, Jean Klein, Tyler Blindell made a big impression on me. So, you know, it, it's all... It's all reasons why you are so privileged to part of Man- be part of Munster Rugby. Yeah, definitely. It's such a. I mean, being being an Ulster man, born and bred, I, like there's a huge amount of respect for what Munster have built down there because it's this sense of uh, c- culture and community that that is enviable. There was a period through the 2000s where they were the best in Europe, hands down. And obviously, I was privileged to spend some time with Donico Callahan here at Worcester. And you could see on a day-to-day basis what he was used to and how he drove standards at us. So being in that environment, I'm sure, is, is 
is very exciting. And I think the other aspect of it is, you know, when you when you think of Munster, you do tend to think of a certain um, style of play. And I know rugby evolves and rugby changes and whoever can keep ahead of the curve is norm- is normally the coaching group that gets the best out of um, their team. And you get, you're get you lucky, um, in a sense, to have some amazing coaches there, guys like Stephen Larkham, Graham Roundtree and JP Ferreira, just to name a few. But when you're working with an amazing coaching group like that and you're dealing with a Munster group that has a a traditional style of like round the corner, aggressive carries. Do you have to be sensitive to the history and heritage that that club has, or is it about d- developing the team just to win games? No, I think you've, you've got to know what the club is about. You've got to know what the people is about. And uh, I think creating an environment where, you know, it's not my team, it's our team. And, uh, you know, you've got to, you've got to create a clear vision to where your team are, are going and I remember back uh, the very first presentation I did at, at Munster Rugby to the players the, the way I explained it was it's like a train uh, you're going to have certain stops guys will get off the trains other guys will get on on the train we are going towards a, a destination but we're never going to get there we've got to enjoy the journey You'll have some ups, you'll have some downs. Uh, we will evolve. We'll have to be at sometimes be conservative. Sometimes we'll have to take chances. Uh, nobody knows what what the future holds, and I guess COVID nineteen have proven that. But uh, like I said before, uh, you've got to have the right people, and um, you know Steve, Graham, and JP, phenomenal coaches. Uh, you know, the four of us have been together now for. Uh, not even two years uh, we formed a, a very strong uh, bond and uh, we really enjoy working with each other um, they've been phenomenal uh, coaches uh, with me before at Monster and, and before my time and you know I'm sure there'll be a lot of great coaches to come uh, but I think that's the thing about Munster it's not only about the players it's not only about the coaches it's about everybody involved whether it's you know the medical staff the performance staff, the athletic performance staff, uh, our people at Thurman Park and at Musgrave Park, our senior management uh, led by our CEO, and then people from all uh, around the world. It, it sometimes fascinates me when we play away in a small game like like Zebra away, then there'll be this 20 monster supporters popping out, out of nowhere. And you don't kind of, you, you, you kind of don't always see that. And then, you know, obviously this year is different, but um I remember one big moment that struck me was um, I just came to Munster and then we had a double hit uh, with, with the Leicester Tigers and, and we, we played against them at Thurman Park and, and kind of beat them at home. And then you always know about the travelling support, but uh, running out at uh, Walford Road and you hear the, the noise of Munster, Munster and, and uh, it's it's uh, it's brilliant to be part of. So yeah, look like I said before, it's uh, it's an incredible place to to be a part of for a for a time in my life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in an effort to round it up, because um, I don't want to take too much of your time, um, I think the the aspect I'm interested to discuss to to finish off with Johan is this transition that you've made from um, obviously your early coaching years, but to, from that assistant coach to head coach. 
I don't think people outside of the environments val- uh, value or understand that there is a difference fundamentally with the, the pressures to, to some extent, the pressures, perceived pressures, but also the responsibility that a head coach does have. I mean, you just talked about you know, people getting on the train and off the train and a destination and enjoying the journey. But when you move from an assistant coach to the head coach, quite often you can be the one who's deciding who's getting on and off the train. And that can be difficult. And I, and I totally sympathize with people who have to make those decisions but it is in nature it's the nature of the business are there areas of that that you find challenging at the start um and how have you adapted to becoming the main man from being um the assistant coach who maybe at times can sit and not have to take full responsibility for some of the selection or contract decisions yeah i, I was very mindful of that at, at the start um and the first thing I'll say is I, I've learned from some incredible people along the way. I, yeah. I've, one of the things I said to myself in 2003 is to do CPD each year to make sure that you get better. So I've, I've visited uh, an incredible amount of different environments to try and learn of. So, so that's, that's the first thing I'd say. Uh, the head coaches that I've worked with uh, taught me such a lot, whether it was Carl and Sakia Duffy's whether it was Heineck or Franz or Alistair or any different coach that I that I came across, uh, I, I I learned as, as much as I could. I remember, you know, Garrett saying that um, uh, you know, it, it's all on you now. Every decision uh, stops with you. And at first, it was like, yeah, you know, this this, this is the decisions that you've got to got to make, but. Now you you back yourself to deliver because of your preparation through a, a long time, and then you trust in in your own ability, and then you trust that you um, have put in the hard yards, and and then you've just got to the best way I can say you've just got to swim, you've just got to do it. And and I remember coming to Munster, we we beat Zebra away, and we beat Ospreys at home, and then won the double header against Leicester. So first four games in went very well and then lost to Leinster at, at home on St. Stephen's Day. And then kind of the reality, yeah, this is on you now. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you, you are the head coach. You take responsibility for this. And uh, it, it's something that I've enjoyed. Um, I think one uh, of the things you, you said is, is perceived pressures, uh, you know, I put a lot of pressure on myself and, you know, coaching, head coaching, any type of job isn't about uh, the moment there and then. It's about doing it every single day. And the best way I can describe it is in 2011, I went to West Point for the first time, uh, a place where I've been to a few times uh, there on the Hudson River, just just north of New York. And uh, they've got a saying, you've got to be at the best you've got to be at your best when your best is required and your best is required every day yeah and that's something that i that i've taken on that you know you, you've got to deliver every day and um you know uh one of the things i said to the team when i joined is uh every one of us will make mistakes and i think you've got to be comfortable at making mistakes there's no perfect team there's not one team in the world that wins every single game but at the end of the day, it's not only about winning and losing. It's it's about the process and, and the day-to-day. And it's about creating, a like you said, a, an environment where people can thrive in and, and be themselves. And 
I've got a, a very simple philosophy, uh, but you know, I believe once you put all the the steps along the way, winning will be a result of it. Um, but you've got to be comfortable in in your own skin, and uh, you, you know, it's, it's something like I said that, that I've enjoyed, and um, you know, life is too short to not enjoy what you're doing. And uh, I can just reference this back to COVID. Um, like I said, you've got to live every day to its fullest because uh, if you told the two of us uh, today exactly a year ago that world sport will come to a halt, uh, yeah. I think we'd laugh at that and look at what have happened in the world over the last year. So enjoy every day of your life because it's later than you think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I just want to say a huge thank you. I think, you know, to have the opportunity to sit um over Zoom and have the sort of conversation we just had for the best part of 45 minutes is a huge honor. A massive, massive thank you. Uh, on behalf of everyone who'll listen to this, we're wishing you all the absolute best going forward. I know you guys have some big games coming up, but first of all, uh, after Benetton, a well-deserved break. I'm sure you'll you'll be glad to get uh, a week of some family time and some downtime as well. So I hope you have a great time then. Good luck this weekend. And thank you so much for your time, Johan. No, thanks very much. Have a great day.